We will begin in the prophecy of Micah. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. We'll also read from Luke 2 and from Revelation chapter 12. We begin in Micah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. And then we move to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, Luke 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who, had, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorified and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then we turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation of Christ to John, chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So far, our scripture reading. Let's sing in response to this reading from hymn 18, stanzas 1 and 3. The text for the sermon this afternoon is the song that the angels sang above the fields of Bethlehem, Luke 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
After the proclamation of God's word, we will voice our amen by singing from Psalm 98, all the stanzas. Congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls. We just repeated reading the song that the angels sang. I mentioned that song this morning as well. They sang about peace on earth. And as I mentioned this morning, when we look around us, we don't see evidence or very much evidence of that peace. There's a lot of lack of peace in the world. The Bible, congregation, doesn't promise that the fulfillment of that peace will come on this side of eternity. And that's really clear already right from the beginning, the God's first promise to Adam and Eve. Ever since that time, the world is full of war and strife. And that, that lack of peace, that's a direct result of the fall into sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And ever since the fall into sin, there's been a war going on. A war between God and Satan. And we, we are caught up in that cosmic battle. After the fall into sin, God declared there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. In other words, there would always be enmity between the children of God and the followers of Satan. And this enmity is also played out in the lives of God's children. And we feel that today no less than the Old Testament people did. You find this enmity, this cosmic struggle reflected in the stories of God's people in the Old Testament. And there you also find God's people praying for and longing for the promised victory, the final victory. And while God declared there would be enmity, He also promised an ultimate victory for His people. And the longing for this victory is also expressed and reflected in the stories of God's people. The Apostle Peter, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, tells us that the Old Testament prophets who predicted the salvation and victory of God, they searched and inquired carefully themselves how this would eventually come about. They were really busy with it themselves, even though they, they didn't even understand everything that they were prophesying. They didn't fully understand it themselves, but they knew that what they spoke would come true. And their longing congregation and our desire for peace has been answered. The message of Christmas is that God has already won the battle. The Prince of Peace has come. And even though the enmity between the children of God and the followers of Satan continues to rage, we have every reason to be encouraged because Jesus has secured the final victory. The battle has been won. The final outcome is absolutely sure. Of that, we are guaranteed by God's word. And that's really the message the angel gave to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. That's the message that was brought by the heavenly host. So I proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon with this theme, that at the birth of Christ, 
the angels proclaim God's triumphant victory. We will see that this victory brings glory to God, and secondly, this victory brings peace on earth. While the details of Jesus' birth are very unique, many of those details are, are also not very spectacular either, are they? Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem, like many others did in those days. They arrived, and the only place of shelter they could find was a, for their little baby was in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And when her child was born, Mary did what every other mother in those days did. She wrapped her baby in swaddling cloths. And for the shepherds who were in the fields near Bethlehem, it was just another ordinary night. They had brought their sheep to the shelter. Maybe they were sitting around the fire discussing the day's work. They were enjoying some rest. Just another ordinary day. But God had something special planned for that night. This night was to bring about the climax in the battle between God and Satan. This night would prove Satan's undoing. He had been trying to thwart God's plan of salvation ever since the beginning of the world. And nothing would please him more than the destruction of the seed of the woman who was to crush his head. And oh, he tried. He certainly tried. The vision John received in Revelation 12, congregation gives us a a bird's eye view of world history, so to speak. This vision shows how Satan, the great red dragon, is ready to devour the child of the woman. And the woman in this vision represents the church, and her child is Jesus Christ. This child escapes the clutches of the great red dragon, but throughout the history of God's people, it is evident that Satan often came close to achieving his goals. Many times Satan must have thought, I'm winning, I'm winning because I'm almost there. He almost succeeded in destroying God's people, and that was his aim. Because if he could destroy God's people, then the seed of the woman would not be born. Then the Christ child would not come. He tried already. Shortly after the fall, Adam and Eve lost their only believing son when Cain killed Abel. But then God gave them another son, Seth, who carried on the line from which Christ would come. And when this plan didn't work, Satan enticed the sons of God to marry the daughters of men. And this plan succeeded so well that the Bible says Noah was the only righteous man living. He was the only one left who worshipped God. And after the flood, the Lord had to intervene once more by confusing the language of the men of men when they tried to establish the Tower of Babel. And later God chose Abraham out of all the families of the earth to be a blessing to the nations. And again, Satan tried to thwart God's plan by having the nation of Israel destroyed in Egypt. But his cruel plan of having all the baby Hebrew boys drowned did not work either. And so we tried again at Mount Sinai, enticing the people to abandon their God and worship a golden calf. He continued to do whatever he could to destroy the Old Testament church by enticing them to rebel against God, enticing them to worship Molech and Baal, gods of the pagan nations. Later he tried to destroy the house of David when Athaliah, the queen mother of Judah, the daughter of Jezebel, tried to murder all the royal children. In Judah, 
But little Joash was rescued by his aunt Jehoshaphat. And so he continued the line of David. And then while the people of God were exiled in Babylon for 70 years, Satan tried once more to have all the Jews killed when Esther was queen. Time and time again he tried, but he failed to prevent the coming of the Prince of Peace. He knew that if he could just cut off the line of David, if he could just destroy God's people, then the one who would crush his head would never come. And this great cosmic battle congregation has been going on ever since Genesis chapter 3. And down through the centuries and down through the ages, God was working towards the day which Scripture calls the fullness of time. The time which he determined would be the climax of this great battle. The time when Satan's defeat would be fixed and guaranteed. The angel who had spoken to the shepherd said, Fear not. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. What a day. And what great news, congregation. Such great news that that the first angel was joined by a heavenly host who proclaimed the glory of God. You see, the angels were waiting for this day too. Peter tells us that what the prophets foretold, angels longed to see. Like God's people, they too waited in eager expectation for the fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of God's plan that he had told about and that he had told Adam and Eve. You see, the angels, they are servants of God. They are attendants who stand around his throne. And they knew of the plan of salvation. It's evident that they know about this plan or something of this plan. That's evident from the words of the angel Gabriel, for example, when he spoke to Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so the angels too, they kept track of time, and they watched God at work. In fact, they are intimately involved in God's work. Psalm 103 speaks of angels as mighty ones who carry out the Lord's word. They obey God's will. They obey his word. And scriptures calls the angels ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. That's us. They are ministering spirits sent out to serve us. So they serve both God and God's children in this great cosmic battle. And indeed, that is why they are called the heavenly host. The Old Testament often refers to God as the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth. That means that God is the Lord of an army. The heavenly host is God's army equipped to serve him and to fight in this great cosmic battle. These are the same hosts, for example, that Jesus referred to when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told Peter, put up your sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? So congregation, the heavenly hosts that the shepherds saw that night They are the same angels who went to war against Satan. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and defeated him. And the great dragon was thrown down out of heaven 
There was no longer any place for him there or for his evil angels. And I'm pretty sure, congregation, boys and girls, that when we think of the angels, the choir of angels singing above the fields of Bethlehem, that's exactly what we think about them. Angels in robes, a choir of angels. But this was no mere choir. This was a choir of soldiers, a choir of fighters with swords on their hips. This army knew firsthand of the defeat of of Satan. This choir knew the outcome, outcome of the battle. That's why the angel could say to the shepherds, Fear not, for I bring you good news. Satan has been defeated. His doom is sure. The one who has come to deliver his people has come. The Savior of the world. The Messiah whom God has promised. So glory to God in the highest. Because his plan of salvation has moved forward. The Son of God has come into the world to take away the sins of his people. The fullness of time has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the devil cannot claim the world as his own. And because this child has arrived, earth will never be the same again. The head of the serpent is about to be crushed. And so we can sing as we will afterwards from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, voicing for mighty wonders he has done, his right hand and his arm most holy, the victory for him have won. Glory to God in the highest. That's what Christmas means. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, the angel said in Revelation 12, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And so this heavenly army praised God for the greatest victory in the history of God's revelation and the history of his people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those upon whom his favor rests. We might ask, well, how can an army proclaim peace? Did Jesus not come to put an end to war? Well, the prophet Micah also makes a reference to this very thing. Speaking of the one who was to be born in Bethlehem, he says that this one will be the shepherd of his people, giving them security to the ends of the earth, And then he writes, and he shall be their peace. But then he goes on to explain how this shepherd will bring peace. And Micah speaks of the Assyrians coming into the land. And he says, the shepherd shall deliver us when he comes into our land. How? By defeating the Assyrians. So the point is, peace only comes by warfare. Peace only comes by battle and war. Not by compromise but through the destruction of the enemy. Think of Psalm 2, for example, which speaks of the Lord dashing his enemies into pieces like a potter's vessel. This is what this shepherd, this Messiah, will do. And this is what he has done. Christ took his stand against sin and against Satan. In the desert, after his baptism in the Jordan River, he took his stand against Satan's temptations, and he won. In all his life, he took his stand against sin. And he took his stand as our substitute, as the Lamb of God, taking God's anger upon himself. 
He had to fight the desire to give up on his stand. On his stand. And he fought the desire to, to let the cup of suffering pass him by. He chose to carry on, even though it cost him everything. And he won that battle too. He never let temptation take him down. He never gave in to the temptation to, to be free from his task. And he won all those battles. And he has won the war. This Jesus is the exalted Christ and the Lord Most High. And we are his sheep congregation. And he is our good shepherd. And that means that our battles are his battles. Our battles are his battles. He has won the war but the enemies are still on the battlefield. Satan has been thrown out of heaven, but he and his defeated army are still lingering upon this earth for a time. And so there are still battles that we have to face. But our shepherd knows our circumstances, congregation. He knows our circumstances. He understands our life. And he can help because he is the most powerful king. He is the almighty one. He is the one through whom we have peace with our God. Because he did not come to bring us peace from out of our battles, or from our battles, not on this side of eternity, but he came to give us peace through our battles. But only if we continue that battle and this warfare in the strength of our shepherd king. In our world, we are constantly making attempts at peace. We heard that this morning too. We want to have peace in our homes, in our marriages, in our church, peace between nations. But no matter how well we do at trying to make these kinds of peace, we will never discover peace until we discover peace with God. The peace of God that comes into our lives, can only come on the basis of what Christ has done for us. And that's the story of peace in the Gospel of Luke. Indeed, in all of Scripture, peace comes to our life only through the intervention of God Himself. Because left to ourselves, we are alienated, separated from God, we're indifferent to Him, we break His law. Left to ourselves, we often attempt to fix our unhappiness and our emptiness in our own way. We try to find peace in our own way, peace in multiplying possessions, peace in a bottle, peace in the next artificial high, peace in displaying our own self-righteousness before others, peace in satisfying our own sinful lusts. But there's no peace in those things, congregation, because then you only end up being enslaved to what you crave. And there's never going to be any glory to God if we try to find peace that way. We can only give Him the glory if we discover the peace that He provides. And so this text, congregation, urges us, like the shepherds, to make haste. All of you listening today, make haste like the shepherds did. If you have not yet discovered this peace, then don't wait for a moment longer. 
The shepherds didn't wait either for a few days to check things out. They heard, here is the one, the one who was promised by God. He is breaking into our world. He has come now in our time. And their reaction was immediate. Their belief was immediate. They took instant action. Let us go and see. Let us go and see what the Lord has made known to us. So they made haste and they went. How many of us hear the gospel Sunday after Sunday? Sunday after Sunday we are confronted with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sunday after Sunday we are confronted with the call to submit to Him because He is Lord. To submit all our life to Him. But we walk out of church thinking, I'll get to that later. I don't have time for that right now. And maybe you've struggled with this your whole life. But then this text calls you to make haste. Don't wait another minute longer. And young people, don't wait to commit your lives to the Lord Jesus Christ either. Don't wait until tomorrow. Because tomorrow might be too late. Make haste. You have heard and seen what the Lord has made known to you. Also again this afternoon. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this message, congregation, is directly related to our dysfunction, to our lack of peace, to our lostness, to our sin, to our rebellion. And do you realize that it is, it is an incredible, incredibly wonderful manifestation of God's grace and mercy if he patiently allows you to walk away from his grace again and again. But the Bible says, do not tempt the Lord and do not put his love to the test. Do not take his grace for granted. Make haste. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. An Old Testament quote. And the shepherds came with haste and they discovered peace. They discovered the Lord Jesus Christ. And they received that peace when they believed in him. And that's what God does for us too. When God opens your eyes and softens your heart, then you will do as these shepherds did. You will proceed directly to the place where you can meet him, the throne of God, and bow before his majesty and cast yourself upon the grace of your Savior and the love of your God. And again, we have to come back to that question. Well, let's look around us. How much peace do you really see in the world and in the church and even in our own lives? Where is the promised peace? But again, congregation, nowhere in the Bible does the Lord promise the fulfillment of peace on this side of eternity. One day, yes, one day the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. But not until the day that Christ returns will all things be put to right. Then there will be perfect peace. And in the meantime, the rebellion of mankind is still apparent in our existence. Nations and societies and people are are loaded down with burdens of emptiness. And the reason for that emptiness lies in the fact that by nature we are all in rebellion against God, in war. But into that warfare... God has sent the Prince of Peace. And therefore you will not find a cure for peace and for your emptiness by 
accumulating stuff or in the next empty bottle of booze. You will only find peace if you surrender your life to the Prince of Peace. And brothers and sisters, you know where to find him. You have heard him speak to you again today through his word and through the proclamation of his word. Today he is seeking a place in your heart and your life. Let him fill the emptiness. Let him fight your battles. For in him victory is sure. Even though it might not look like that every day of your life. So let us look to him to fight off temptation and doubt. Make room for him in your life. For he calls out to you. Make haste and seek the Prince of Peace. And accept his offer of peace. And then you will have peace. Not only today, but every day of your life. Until he comes again, then we will experience perfect peace. Amen.